0: We have a God who's worth magnifying this morning, don't we? Amen. Amen. We can praise his name together. I hope that you are ready to worship him today. I hope that you came ready to hear from him today. Um, you know, guys, we, uh, we just sang these words, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life, right? What is, uh, what is the purpose of an altar, right? The, the purpose of an altar is where where things die, right? There are things are sacrificed and we come and we want to present ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, where we say, Lord, my life is yours. I want to die to myself. I want to live unto you. So as we magnify the Lord, part of what we do is that we die to ourselves and we say, Lord, uh, I want to receive your life. I want everything that you have for me. So as we, um, as we get ready to get into God's word, I hope that you take a, a posture of your heart that says this morning, I believe that God is real, that you believe that God, if he's real, he's authoritative over you, and that the God who is real and authoritative over you uh, has actually spoken to us through his word. And so when God who is real and authoritative speaks, it's incumbent upon us to listen and be willing to come under his leadership and under his instruction that we receive from his word today. So I hope you're excited to get into God's word today, and I hope that you have an eager anticipation in your heart that God will actually speak to you today from his word. Do you believe that this morning? That his Holy Spirit will speak to you if you open your hearts and you open your minds. His Spirit will speak to you. So if you have your Bible, let's take it now and open it out to uh, Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, you can open it up on your cell phone app. Or if you don't have one of those, we'll have the text eventually on the screen here. But Ruth chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And I just want to reiterate what was said earlier, that if you are new with us today, thank you for being here. Whether you're joining us today in person in this room or over in the Overflow room or you're joining us online, thank you for being here. Especially for those of you guys who might be new to our church, we just want to say that we're a church that wants to welcome you in. We exist to help people become wholehearted followers of Jesus. Christ, who know him and then make him known in the world. That's why we're here as a church, and we are glad that you are here with us today. So we are continuing today our study through this Old Testament book called Ruth. Ruth is a love story, right? It's a love story about uh, a girl named Ruth and a boy named Boaz, and they meet and they fall in love, and it's a beautiful story, right? In chapter three, we're going to see part of their love story And it's this little scene where they have this moment that we might call today the DTR right? Now, I know I'm uh, kind of, maybe DTR is like a 20-year-ago thing. I don't know. I'm 46 years old, so I'm not a young man anymore. I'm not quite an old man. I'm just a man, but that means, like, I'm not up on trends anymore the way I used to be. I don't know what you call it these days when you're dating somebody, and then you kind of have to put that stake in the ground that says, you know, what are we, right? That's what the DTR is. It's the determine the relationship conversation, right? Are we just friends? Are we dating? Are we dating exclusively? Is it, like, social media worthy? Like, are we going to post about it? Like, what's going on? This is the DTR, or maybe it's like the DTR says all the relationship's over, like it's not going anywhere. Like, the DTR is an important conversation, right? The DTR is an important conversation. So that's the conversation that Ruth and Boaz are going to have in our text today. Now, I remember when I had to have this conversation with Rachel when she and I were dating. We had been dating uh, about six weeks or so. I went to her this past week, and I was like, what do you remember about that conversation? And she's got some sweet memories about it, so do I. Um, but I, you know, we, uh, we reflected on the fact that when we had our DTR, um, we had been dating about, I don't know, six weeks, and I was getting ready to go on a mission trip overseas and before I left to go overseas, I needed to know where things stood with her, because uh, I liked her, and I hoped that when I was gone, she wasn't going to go out with anybody else, right? And honestly, if she wasn't into me, then I probably would have been looking for my wife on the mission field. So like, that's what was going on. So before I left, we had this conversation where uh, I told her, you know, I really you know, cared for her, and that I was ready to make our relationship exclusive. And there was this sweet moment where she looked at me and she's like, I'd like that too. And so everything became official and it was wonderful. And I breathed a big sigh of relief and I rested easy because, you know, we kind of knew the status of the relationship. Guys, why do we need a DTR? Like, why do we need to determine the relationship? Here's why. Because there's rest when you know that you're in a committed relationship. There's rest when you know that you're in a committed relationship. You're uneasy until then. And in our text today, we're going to see that Ruth and Boaz have the DTR. Why? Because there's rest in a relationship. Now, as we get into chapter 3 of Ruth today, let's remember what's happened so far. Okay, so we started out meeting this uh, Israelite family of four. Um, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, their two sons. Uh, A famine came upon their area in Judah and so they had to move to a different region, a region of Moab. Uh, Moab was kind of uh, really known as a place of sin, really sorted past. Um, roots from where those people came from were, were really rooted in wickedness. And there was a lot of sin and animosity there between Israelites and Moabites. And so the two uh, people were, the two groups of people were not really friendly with each other. And yet this Israelite family says, We are going to move to Moab. Well, when they moved there, um, what ends up happening is the two sons end up finding uh, Moabite women that they want to marry, and so they marry these Moabite women. And shortly thereafter, all three of the men in this family die, right? Father Elimelech dies, the, the two sons, Malon and Kilion, they both die. And so the mother named Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law named uh, Orpah and Ruth, and they end up finding out that the famine in Judah is over, and so they decide, hey, let's go back to Judah. So as they're traveling back to Judah and headed to Bethlehem, uh, Naomi realizes, like, man, it's gonna be really hard for my daughters-in-law to live in Israel, because all these guys in Israel, they're not fans of Moabites, and so here comes these two, uh, here come these two Moabite widows. It's gonna be really hard for them to find husbands in Israel. So she goes and says to them, you can return to your homeland, And one of them, Orpah, says, okay, I'll return home. The other one, Ruth, says, no, I'm clinging to you, Naomi. I'm staying with you. And she says those beautiful words that we all remember. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And so they come back to Bethlehem together. And people who knew Naomi like 10 years ago before she left, they're saying like, look, she's back. Like, it's Naomi. And and Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And the reason for that is because her name Naomi means pleasant, but the word Mara means bitter. And in her mind, she had been um, really become bitter in the the sight of God that he didn't really want anything to do with her. She had lost her husband. She lost her son. Life was going really terrible for her. And what we start to see is that there's this woman who's bitter at the Lord in chapter 1. And so the big point for us was this. It's like when we're tempted to be bitter at God, then we need to remember he's always doing something better than we can imagine. Because as we said in chapter one, like by the time we get to chapter four, we're going to see that God was using Naomi to get to Ruth, to get to a man named Boaz, who would be an ancestor to King David, who would be an ancestor to King Jesus, right? So when we are tempted to be bitter at God, we need to remember that God is always doing something better than we can even imagine or see in that moment. That was week one. Now, last week, week two, we covered chapter two, and the point of chapter two was that um, what seems like our happenstance is really God's providence, right? What seems like our happenstance is really God's providence, and providence is that kind of big theological term that basically means this, God uses natural events to work out his perfect supernatural plan, right? So things kind of just so happen, to work out exactly as God planned for them to happen all along. So in chapter two, that's what we saw when Ruth was going out in the fields to work and provide food. And while she was working there, the scripture says that she just so happened to work in the field of a man named Boaz. Well, this is an Israelite man who she just so happened to meet. And They just so happened, that Israelite man just so happened to have a non-Jewish mother himself, so he just so happened to be the kind of guy who knew what it was like to appreciate it when Jews and Israelites would take in non-Israelite people, and care for them. So they just so, Ruth and, and Boaz just so happened to meet, they just so happen to get married. They're going to see that in chapter 4. They just so happen to have children who have children who have children, and one of them, as we study the scripture, just so happens to be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What seems like your happenstance is really God's providence. Now that's what we've seen so far in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Today we're going to make our way through chapter 3, So I'm going to go through it, teach verse by verse, Lord willing, through all 18 verses, uh, make several teaching points and observations along the way. I want to close with some personal application that's geared towards those of you in this room who are really hoping to be married one day. And then we're going to see how this whole chapter ultimately points us to Jesus, right? The hero of Scripture. So that's where we're headed, all right? So chapter two, if you remember from last week, it ended with Naomi encouraging Ruth to stay close uh, to those who were working for Boaz. Because in Naomi's mind, there was this potential relationship that uh, could be forming and blooming between Ruth and Boaz. So let's jump into verse one of chapter three. We'll pick up here. It says this. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? So let's just stop right there. That's the question. Should I? Mother-in-law is saying, daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Now, what Naomi means here is that she's saying, I want to help you find a husband, right? She, if you go back to chapter one, verse nine, remember she had already told Ruth, hey, you can, if you want to, you can turn around and go home because I want you to find rest in the house of your husband, right? So when she uses rest here, it means she's wanting Ruth to find a husband. She wants her widowed daughter-in-law to find that protection and that, provision and that security that comes within marriage. And that's the type of rest that, they, that Naomi wants for Ruth. Now on to verse 2. She says, Is not Boaz our relative um, with those with whose young men you were? Oh, excuse me. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So she mentions Boaz. She says, okay, you were, you were working in Boaz's field um, with the other women but that same guy like he's you know winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor so some of you may know what winnowing barley is and you know that's kind of an old fashioned concept some of you may not know what it is but ultimately what winnowing is it's when you it's the process of of removing barley from chaff and then you could either use the barley for your food or you could you know, kind of sell it for provision. Maybe this picture will help you kind of understand how the threshing floor and the winnowing process would work. A worker would take his collection of barley stalks, those were called sheaves, they he would take them to a threshing floor, and the stalks would be laid out all around the threshing floor, and then, you know, like an, an animal, like a donkey or some other beast of burden would carry a something heavy behind it and walk around and it would essentially grind the chaff, uh, separate the, the chaff apart from the grain. And then these workers would take these winnowing forks and they would kind of scoop up this, these stalks and toss them in the air and wind would blow and it would separate the, the grain from the chaff. The chaff would, fall, it would blow away, the grain would fall to the ground. And the place, that circular place where this was all done, that was called the threshing floor. So that is the winnowing process, and Boaz is doing this winnowing process at the threshing floor, and so Naomi is about to send Ruth out to meet him there. She wants to send her daughter to meet this guy, okay? And so she says, verse 3, wash therefore, which is a great place to start if you're going to go meet a guy, (laughs) right? Wash therefore. Last time we saw these two, like, she was working in the fields. Probably a little sweaty and gross. Great place to start. Take a shower. Wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. So basically, Naomi's saying, when you go to meet this man, you need to look good. You need to smell good. Right? Solid advice, I would say, from Naomi. Way to help her get started. So she says, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So what we've got here is Naomi playing matchmaker. Now, remember last week, I told you guys about the first time that I ever saw Rachel. It was when I saw her picture in the car of my friend Mindy. But it wasn't until a couple years later that I actually met Rachel. Basically, what happened was I kept asking our friend Mindy, like, hey, is that girl from the picture single yet? And she would be like, no, no, no. Like, and she would say, no, until one day, everything changed. I was driving down the highway, going to work, and I got a call from my friend Mindy, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And, and she gets on the phone, and she says, you're never going to believe who agreed to go on a date with you. And so I try to play it off all cool. I'm like, oh, yeah, who? And she's like, Rachel Hamilton. And I'm like okay, great. That sounds good. I'll think about that. And maybe we can set a good time. I try to play it off all cool on the phone, but as soon as I hung up, man, I'm pumping my fist in the air, acting like a wild man. Like, I'm just thrilled about this, right? Because my friend Mindy decided to play matchmaker, right? She was uh, Naomi for me, right? I'm thankful for that. Which, by the way, a little side note, free tip. Like, Single people in the church who are looking to get married, like, don't just always shut it down when you're, like, godly friends and godly family members try to set you up with somebody. Like, sometimes it works out, right? Some of us have had really good matchmaking experiences. All right, I'll be done with that little side note. But (laughs) Naomi, the matchmaker, is giving some good advice here, and then she continues with the good advice. She basically says to him, like, she says to, to Ruth, like, don't mess with Boaz until he's finished working and he, you know, is finished eating and drinking. Because the truth is, men are in better moods when their work day is done and their belly is full, right? So, you know, ladies, like, don't ask him for stuff until then. Like then, which is, we'll get to this and we'll see how it all works out. But Naomi is advising Ruth on how to approach Boaz. So Naomi continues with her advice as we go into verse 4. And now, honestly, right here, it just kind of gets weird, okay? So verse 4, here's what she says. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, can we just call it for what it is? Like, isn't that weird? It's weird that she said, like, go to him while he's sleeping at night. Uncover his feet and do what he tells you to do from there. Like, hey, dad's in the room. None of us are ever going to give our daughters that advice, right? <laughs> Somebody better say amen All we're going to have a men's meeting, <laughs> right? No dad in the room's giving their daughter that, that advice, all right? It's, so it's weird. But here's what, all, it's also weird that Ruth is like, okay, I'll do it. Like, I'll just, un- I'll just uncover his feet because dudes have gross feet. He's been working out in the barley field all day. Like, it's just going to be nasty from there. So it's just weird. I think it's especially weird to us because we don't really understand old, old Testament culture, okay? So let me try to explain what's going on here, make some sense of it. So men would kind of work at the threshing floor all day. When they're harvesting big fields like that, it's a lot of work. So they work all day. Then after their sun sets, they would have a meal together at night. And then after they eat, then they would lie down and sleep right there on site at the threshing floor. They grab a cloak. They grab a blanket. They would cover up, sleep for the evening. They can just get up in the morning at sunrise, start their work again. Why would they sleep there? Because they were protecting their harvest. Right? That was their income. That was their profit. It was the way they made their living. And so they slept there to keep it from being stolen by bandits and other people. So here's Boaz sleeping here. Imagine Naomi telling Ruth to come to him while he's sleeping there at night. Uncover his feet, and when he wakes, that's when you talk to him. So here's here's what helps us make sense of this, all right? First of all, going and uncovering his feet is really just a practical thing. Like, what happens when you sleep at night and your feet keep getting uncovered? they get cold. And eventually you wake up and you want to like adjust the blanket or you want to like figure out why why does this keep happening? So imagine like Boaz, his feet are getting cold, he wakes up and he goes to look down at what's going on with his feet and he sees a woman there. Okay, well there's a woman at his feet. Now what's up with her staying at his feet? And that being an intentional uh, part of what's described here. It's all through scripture You see that being at someone's feet, placing yourself at someone's feet, was really taking a posture of saying, You are over me, Um, you are worthy, I submit to you, I take a servant posture toward you, I honor you. So she stays at his feet. Right? She's keeping that appropriate position there. And so then Naomi says, You need to do this all at night while it's dark, and after he's you know asleep. You know, what's the deal with that? Well, She's saying, like, look, you know, you need to have this conversation with him, but you need to do it when there's not a whole lot of other people around where there's a sense of privacy, because then Boaz is going to be able to speak with you more freely, because we have to remember the cultural context. Ruth was a Moabite woman. Israelite people didn't think fondly of Moabite women, so if there was, like, the Jewish crowd, the the Israelite crowds, kind of seeing this Moabite woman kind of coming to, you know, kind of talk to to Boaz, the culture would have kind of frowned on that. It might have put some pressure on Boaz, especially if, like, she would have came up in public and basically says what she's going to say to him in just a minute. Like, hey, uh, you're a redeemer, and I want you to marry me, right? Like, talk about putting some, like, public pressure on the guy. So Naomi suggested a way for Ruth to get Boaz's attention in private, in a way that's done with humility and respect. And I'll just say like, we all need mother-in-law, like a mother-in-law like that with these basically Jedi-level matchmaking skills, right? This is working out, this is good advice, right? So I hope it helps you make sense of the things that Naomi told Ruth to do. But I also just want to take a little side note and make one thing very clear, okay? Like this is a descriptive passage, not a prescriptive passage, okay? This portion of Scripture tells us what did happen. It doesn't tell us what always should happen, right? So none of you should think to yourself, oh, well, if I want to do marriage God's way, then, you know, these are wise biblical steps to take, like, you know, let a man eat, drink, go to his room at night, sit at his feet, and, you know, just tell him I'll do whatever you want me to do. Nobody's telling you to do that, all right? This is a this is a descriptive text, and, you know, um, it doesn't need to be manipulated in, in any inappropriate way. I had, uh, I had a meeting with a couple one time um, talking about struggles in their marriage. And one of the things that the, the couple revealed in our conversations was that the man, um, the, the husband in the relationship, really mandated uh, and uh, really instructed his wife night after night to sleep at his feet. And when we got into this, it's like, where's this coming from? And he points to this passage and saying, well, you know, this is, you know, the, the example that was given to us by Ruth and Boaz. That is a gross manipulation of taking a passage that is descriptive and trying to make it prescriptive. Do you see how we get into danger when we do that? You guys with me? All right, so we don't, we don't want to read this as a prescriptive passage. It is a descriptive passage. Now, that little side note being done, this is the advice that Naomi gives Ruth in that situation for that time. So let's see what happens when Ruth puts the plan in action. Verse 6 says this. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. Like, you're chuckling about that. Isn't the Bible funny sometimes? Behold, a woman's laying at his feet. Like literally, God God laid the woman that he's going to marry at his feet. All the single guys in the room are like, I wish the Lord would do that for me too, right? Like this descriptive, not prescriptive, right? (laughs) So it's just funny the way that that the Lord works this out. Now, the foot uncovering thing works. Boaz wakes up. He sees a woman. He gets startled. Verse 9 tells us his response. He says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now again, we have this weird language. We don't really understand it unless we've been a student of scripture. It can kind of be confusing at best, even suggestive to some extent in our minds at worst. So we need to clarify what's going on. So notice that Ruth calls Boaz a redeemer. Previously we've heard Naomi uh, refer to him as a a kinsman or as a a relative. Um, Some of your translations of scripture say refer to him as a kinsman redeemer. And that is a reference to something that we described in week one of this sermon series where we talked about the Jewish practice of something called leveret marriage. Um, What's going on here is kind of connected to leveret marriage. It was Uh, it was a practice which essentially ensured the care for widows after their husband had passed away. It also ensured that the family inheritance um, and the family name was able to be passed on. So if a man died and he left his widow behind, and if that man did not have a son to be his heir and to uh, manage his property and to take his family name, and if that same man who died left behind a living brother, then that living brother was supposed to marry his brother's widow, care for her, have children with her, continue the family line and inheritance. But if that dead man didn't have a living brother, then other family members down the family line could marry the widow instead. And this was a way in which... um, It was ensured for uh, widows to to be able to be cared for, and the family line continued. Now, this is where the background of the Ruth story becomes super important because you have to remember, Ruth, as we saw in chapter 1, is the widow of a man named Malon. Malon had no living brothers. His brother died, which meant that other living relatives could become Ruth's redeemer. And one of those living relatives was Boaz. Boaz, we've learned before, was from the family line of Malon's dad named Elimelech, which meant he was, Boaz was therefore able to, to marry Ruth. He didn't have to marry her. He could choose to marry her. And Ruth is really hoping that he's going to choose to do that. So Ruth does what? She just forthrightly asked him, Boaz, will you marry me and be my redeemer? Which totally helps us make sense of this whole idea of um, really kind of spreading your wings over your servant. Remember in chapter 1, we talked about how um, Boaz commended Ruth for uh, finding refuge um, uh, in the shelter and in the wings of the Lord. Um, That phrase kind of uh, coming under someone's wings, it was an expression of finding safety and protection and provision uh, alongside someone else. So Ruth is saying to Boaz, she's saying, will you take me under your covering? I want you to protect me. I want you to provide for me. I'm I'm willing to marry you if you're willing to marry me. So Ruth is saying, marry me. Cover me. Redeem me. In other words, Ruth kind of initiated the DTR. we got to define this relationship. So let's see how Boaz responds. Look at verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for my, fellow kinsmen, for my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So don't get caught up on the lie down till morning stuff. Right? These are two virtuous people, noble people. The scripture talks about both of them being a worthy man and a worthy woman. So when she, he says lie down, he's like, lay down at my feet. Right? They're leaving room for the Holy Spirit. It's all good. Right? There's nothing fishy going on here. But what we have in these past few verses, it's really Boaz's response within the DTR conversation. And you can tell, like, he's really glad with Naomi's request, right? He loves the thought of marrying her. She didn't have to want to marry him. She wasn't obligated to marry him. She could have went back to Moab and married a Moabite guy. She could have chosen a younger man amongst the Israelite community to kind of, you know, go after and try to get his affection. She could have just chosen to stay single. But she asked Boaz to be her redeeming husband. And we know that Boaz, like, he didn't have to say yes to her either. He was secure and doing fine on his own. He didn't necessarily need her to survive. She was from Moab, not an Israelite. So there was some kind of uh, going against the Israelite culture that could have kind of um, brought, some, uh, brought some contention within his life from his community. He wasn't obligated to marry her because there were closer relatives. He didn't have to say yes to her request. So in this sense, it's kind of risky for Ruth to go to Boaz and say, please take me on as a redeemer. Like he could have said no. But Boaz tells her, don't be afraid. Don't worry about these risks. As the Lord lives, I'll redeem you if I can. Now, why doesn't she need to worry? Because she has found a man who is drawn to her and wants to be in a relationship with her. Boaz, he's drawn to her because of her character. He says, you know, my men know what kind of a woman you are. What you're doing here is not questionable in any way. People know you're a good reputation. How she helped her aging, widowed mother-in-law. How she worked in the fields. How she was devoted to Israel's God, no longer to the gods of Moab. So Boaz says, you don't need to fear what people are going to think. I'll marry you as the Lord lives if I can. So she can rest secure because he wants the relationship. But there's also this other kinsman who's closer in the family line than him. And so that man would have priority in marrying Ruth if he wanted to. So Boaz says he's got to check with that other man first, and uh, he's going to handle the matter. So, you know, he does the right thing, and he, he gives the, the choice to the closer relatives, and he promises that if that man says no, then he's going to say yes, right? So let's see how all this shakes out. Look at verse 14. So verse 14 says, So she, laying at his feet, again, not in his arms until morning, uh, she laid his feet till morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, he's protecting her and he's looking out for her reputation. He doesn't want people to think that she was up to no good here. And he said, bring the garment that you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six uh, measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. So once again, Boaz is doing what he's done all along. He's taking care of her. She hasn't worked for this barley. She hasn't earned it. It's just being given to her by the kindness and the goodness of Boaz's heart. He's protecting her. He's providing for her. He's covering her. Verse 16 says, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Which, First of all, can you just imagine like matchmaking mother-in-law, like gets all this plan set up, like Ruth comes home and, and mother-in-law is like eager to know like how to go. Tell me how to go. She's excited about this potential relationship. So she's like, tell me how it went. Then she, Ruth, you know, she told her, um, Naomi, she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go uh, go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Smart guy, Boaz, staying in good with the mother-in-law. That's good. So she replied, "Uh, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. So you know Naomi's real happy about the way things seem to be going. Her dating advice and her matchmaking skills are all kind of coming into it's coming into play here in a good manner. She's excited about the future, but she tells Ruth, she says, You know what? You're gonna have to wait. You need to now sit still, wait, and see how the matter turns out, which would have been incredibly hard for Ruth to do because she obviously loves this man and wants to marry him. But Naomi says, Relax, wait, Boaz will handle everything. See, the redeeming process is totally in Boaz's hands. Ruth couldn't do anything to make it happen. She had to wait and leave all the redeeming work up to him, which couldn't, wasn't going to take long because he was ready to settle the matter. She was waiting to rest for the one who was restless for her. You get it? She was waiting to rest until she could be with the one that was restless for her. Now there's all sorts of gospel pictures and pictures of Christ that are signaled again in this story. And we're gonna get to that in just a minute, but I wanna end our time today with bringing some personal application. You know, this this chapter, the theme of this chapter has really been rest. It began with Naomi uh, wanting Ruth to find rest within a marriage. It ends with Naomi saying that Boaz won't rest until he settles the matter. And so the emphasis is on rest. And so with that in mind, let's, let's talk about two takeaways for us. First one is going to deal with those looking for rest within the context of human marriage. And the second is going to deal with Us finding rest in the one who can only give rest to our souls in the Lord Jesus Christ. So two kind of approaches to application here. Um, If you're not married today, and if you're hoping to be married, the first application, the first takeaway is for you. Here it is. When you're restless for the relationship of marriage, look to Scripture for guidance as you wait. When you're restless for the rest that comes with marriage— then you look to Scripture for guidance while you're waiting. You know, um, the book of Ruth gives us all sorts of principles that we can draw regarding biblical manhood, womanhood, the pursuit of marriage and relationships. And so I want to give you four really practical tips from the book of Ruth that can be applied to those of you who are hoping to get married someday and right now you're looking, okay? Four practical tips. Here we go. First one is this. Be the type of person that you're looking to attract. Be the type of person that you are looking to attract, right? Our text refers to both Ruth and Boaz as worthy people, godly people. They were two people who were interested in honoring God and living righteously before him. And it was really because of that that they were drawn to each other. They were drawn to each other more for each other's character than any sort of outward appearance or attraction. So listen, uh, ladies, if you want to attract a godly man, then you need to be a godly woman. And men, if you want to attract a godly woman, then you need to be a godly man. When I, guys, when I was in my 20s and really thinking about, like, the pursuit of marriage, longing to get married, uh, wanting to marry a, a good woman, a godly woman, and, and those types of things, but kind of marriage and stuff was always on my mind and always wanting to date, that stuff was there. I, fi- I finally had a conversation with a guy one time who came to me, and he, he gave me, like, a, a loving word of advice, an admonition. He said to me, Jason, you need to stop seeking so much for the one and you need to start concerning yourself with being the one. Stop worrying so much about looking for the one and start concerning yourself with being the one. Which begs a whole other question about the one, right? And I have a lot of opinions about that and I'll save them for another time. But but I think you get the point. Take watch over your own life first. You want to be a person who attracts another godly, you want to be a person who attracts godly people? Then be a godly person yourself. Godly people are going to be attracted to other godly people. So be the type of person that you want to attract. That's tip number one from Ruth. Tip number two is this. Look for someone who helps protect your honor. Look for someone who helps protect your honor. A lot of college students in here, young adults, people who have, Gone through divorce, you find yourself single, you're maybe looking to see if God has someone different for you. Widows and widowers in the room, thinking about relationships. Look for someone who helps protect your honor. Here you had Ruth honoring Boaz, right? She came to him at night in private. She didn't want to like put this public pressure on him. She understood his situation. She she waited at his feet. She took a posture of respect and showed him honor. So Ruth honored Boaz and looked out for that. We also see Boaz honoring Ruth, right? He was, I want you to think about the position that they were in here. They are out together, laying down at night. Everybody around them is asleep. Stars are out, moonlight. Like you you couldn't have asked for like a more romantic scene here probably. And this is a very, there's potential for an ungodly man to really take advantage of her. But what did Boaz do? He didn't make any sexual advances. He waited. He actually protected her purity, had her stay at his feet, guarded her reputation in the morning, right? So listen, what's the application? Look for a person who's interested in spiritually protecting you. Look for a person who wants to guard your heart Right? Not endanger it. You know, uh, Instead of, of, of dating a person who's always pressing sexually to say, how far can we go? Look for somebody who's asking, like, how honoring to Jesus can we be? Right? This is the kind of thing that you need to be looking for in your relationship. Look for someone who wants to protect you by saving sex until marriage, as God designed it to be. Look for someone who protects your honor. That's another principle we glean out of the Ruth and Boaz relationship. Third one, Kind of funny, kind of practical, but here's the third one. Don't be afraid to make your interest known. Like, when you find somebody who's godly, when you find someone who you know is going to be out for your spiritual protection, like, don't be afraid to, like, kind of just let them know you're interested. It's, it's we live in this culture right now where, like, guys and girls seem to be so weird about it. Like, you know, I talked about that a little bit in the first Uh, sermon in this series, and I, you know, why that is, I think, but, you know, it's just, it's just kind of weird. We're hesitant to let each other know, but, like, what did, what did Ruth do? She went to the threshing floor. She made sure she was kind of around him, hanging out where he was, like, so, ladies, you don't need to become, like, stalkerish about it, but, like, if you're hoping to get some guy's attention, you might want to show up where he is. (laughs) Look good and smell good along the way. You'll be all right. And then Ruth like just kind of didn't hold back. She just forthrightly said like, "Hey, uh, I want you to be my redeemer," right? So I'm not saying on your first date, ladies, you should be like, "Hey, I want to marry you." I'm just saying like it's not going to hurt anything if over time you send the guy some signals to say, "You know what? Like um I want to I want to know where you stand on this cuz I'm I really care about you." Okay? Look, sometimes guys just need a little nudge along the way, okay? We need to like we can be nervous. We can be chickens. We need some help. It's helpful. Um, Ruth made her interest known. Boaz, at the same time, like he made his intentions known to her. Like, he wasn't playing mind games. He wasn't indifferent. He wasn't indecisive. He made it clear to Ruth. He expresses his gratefulness that she wanted him to be her redeemer. And let me just say to all the guys in the room: like, when a godly girl chooses you and wants to be with you, like that's a gift. Right? So appreciate it, fellas. Right? This is a blessing. So Boaz, also, he doesn't just tell her, like, I intend to marry you. He doesn't just give her lip service. We're going to see in the next chapter, like, he actually, like, takes step towards it. So guys, when you find that girl that's ready to marry you, don't sit around waiting and wondering and delaying and being indecisive. I don't know if I want to marry you or not. Or we've got to wait for this and that. Look, if you're godly and she's godly and you desire each other, like, put a ring on and get married. I don't blame, honestly, I don't blame girls for, like, getting, like, so fed up with these indecisive dudes in today's Christian culture. Like, lead, boys, lead, right? I had a couple come, I had a couple come up to me, I had a couple come after me after the first service, and they they came up to me, and she came up, she, like, was showing me her ring. She's like, he did it last night, like, he asked me, like, uh, so, good job, um, so don't be afraid to make your interest known. <laughs> Last uh, little tip from Ruth. Once you've found that person that uh, protects your honor and you're becoming the type of person that is godly and, and you make your interest known to that, to that person, guys, can we just trust God with the outcome? Like, I think we worry about our relationships so much and it's always on our minds. Ruth came to this point, though, where she found a good man. But she had to wait on him. And Boaz found this good woman, but he had to wait to get some things in order before they could get married. And like the truth is that the whole relationship could have fallen apart. Boaz's relative could have stepped in and said, you know what, I'm going to marry her. We're going to find out next week that that's not the way it goes down. But the point is, is that the couple had to like choose to trust God with the outcome. So listen, listen, when it comes to your relationships and your intentions, like not every relationship works out the way that we think it's going to work out. But let me just tell you something. God's working everything out all along. You can trust him to work everything out for your good. So trust God with the outcome when you're restless for the rest of marriage. So here's four little tips, you know. And what we have in the book of Ruth is this Wonderful redemptive love story between Boaz and Ruth. And really what it does though, guys, it's intended to point us to the ultimate redemptive love story between God and humanity. Because here's the truly significant and beautiful part of the story. Ruth comes to Boaz in her need and in her humility and in her vulnerability. And she says like, will you have me? Will you redeem me? And here's this man who needed nothing from her. He owed nothing to her, but he was willing to give everything to her, to be her redeemer. He was willing to do all the work. He was willing to take all the steps. He was willing to make all the sacrifice because he wanted to make this outsider woman his own. Who does that remind you of? Jesus, our redeemer, He owes us nothing. He needs nothing from us, yet he is willing to give himself and everything to us. He gave up heaven to come to earth. He gave up his life to pay for our sins. He went to the cross and shed his blood so that we can be forgiven. He did all the work and he made all the sacrifice. Why? Because he loves us and he wants us as his own. Jesus did that for you and for me. Just like Boaz says to Ruth, I will redeem you. I want you to hear me on this. Jesus says to you today, I will also redeem you. No matter how broken your life is, no matter how dysfunctional your relationships have been, no matter how repetitive your relapses are, no matter how dark your thoughts can be, no matter how sordid your past has been, Jesus comes and he says, I will redeem you. And so for some of you, you may have this restlessness in your soul. And you just regularly wrestle with the shameful guilt of your past or the the haunting fear of death in the present or the the longing for inner purpose and significance in this life and you wonder how it's all going to shake out right here. Your soul is restless. Here's the second takeaway. If you are restless for the rest of your soul then look to Jesus, your Redeemer. If your soul is restless, look to Jesus, your Redeemer. Like, if your soul is restless, it's probably because you need to have a DTR with the Lord. You need to really figure out, like, where does my relationship stand with him? And the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, do I really have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or not? See, some of you have been kind of Interested in spiritual things, but there's never been that moment where you've committed your life to Christ. There, the, you have. Maybe some of you kind of go to church on Sundays. It's part of your kind of obligatory religion, but you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. You have a belief in God, but you really don't have a daily walk with Him and a personal experience with Him in any way, right? Some of you are really struggling with sin, so you wonder, like, can God really want to be with me anyways? Listen, it's time for you to have a DTR with the Lord today. You need to determine, where does your relationship stand? Have you had a moment where you have committed your life to the Christ who committed his life to you. Because listen, there was no holding back for Jesus. He committed everything to you because he loves you. He's ready for you. He's waiting for you. Like Boaz, he was restless for a relationship with you. So what did he do? Like Boaz, Jesus finished all the work. He said it's done on the cross which means there's no more religious work for you to do to make your way to God, right? You can't earn his love. You simply just respond to the love that he's already given you and you step toward him in faith and when you do, your past sins will be forgiven. Your present life will have a purpose and your future eternity will be secure. Praise God. So if your soul is restless today, Jesus looks to you and he says these words that we're all very familiar with. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden and you will find rest for your souls. So come to Jesus the redeemer and you will have rest for your restless soul. Let's pray. Lord I thank you for the display of committed, redeeming love that you have given to us in Christ. Lord, all of us who have been redeemed by you, Lord, we, we are refreshed in our heart to say thank you for the cross. Thank you for finishing the work. Thank you for being righteous in every way for us when we are unrighteous. Thank you for dying the death that we deserve to die at the cross. Jesus, thank you for absorbing all of good, the, the rightful punishment that our sin deserves on the cross. Lord, thank you for absorbing that for us. We thank you for committing yourself to us and giving us your Holy Spirit so that we can walk with you day by day and know you and feel your presence in our life. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing all of the redeeming work. And Lord, I want to pray specifically for the people in the room this morning whose hearts are restless, their souls are restless. They they live with constant guilt about their past and their consciences aren't cleansed and things just haunt them. They're afraid to die, afraid of what might come. They they don't have a sense of purpose in this life. And so, Lord, there's this dissatisfaction in their souls and and because of that, they look for satisfaction everywhere else other than you, and so they bounce from relationship to relationship. They don't even know what they're looking for. So many people in this room, myself included, just, Lord, we confess we have we have done relationships the wrong way, really because our hearts weren't satisfied in you. So Lord, I pray for the people in this room whose souls are restless. I pray for the people in this room who have a track record of poor relationships not done your way. And I pray, Lord, that today, you would let us find rest in your love, your redeeming love. Praise you, Lord, for being Jesus, our Redeemer. Thank you that you loved us when we were unlovely outsiders. Like Ruth, Lord, thank you that you set your affections on us, that you provide for us in every way, that you protect us from the... Consequences of our sin. Thank you that you bring us into a loving relationship with yourself. And so today, Lord, I pray for that person who's here. Their soul is restless because they've never committed themselves to you. And today they're realizing how great of an extent you went to commit yourself to them. And so I I pray for the heart right now that's in that moment where they, they know I've never committed my life to Christ. I pray that today would be the turning point, that they would step over that line of faith commit themselves to you and really have that definitive moment in their relationship with you. I pray for the rest of us whose lives are broken in many ways. Lord, I praise you that you aren't just Jesus the Redeemer on the day we get saved, but that you are Jesus the Redeemer in the day-by-day lives where we mess up all the time. So Lord, for those who come into this room and they're yours but they've made mistakes, Lord, I pray that you would make your redeeming love so evident to them. Remind them of your great love that is relentless toward toward them, even in the mistakes that they've made. And so, Lord, let us find rest today in your love. And we thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.